muted, and now I am not muted. Isn't that, that's much better. Before I read the scripture, I want to say two more quick things. Number one, I want to thank the, uh, the fellowship team for the decorations, the fall decorations. Didn't they do a great job? They are awesome. Thank you. And I uh, also want to thank you for your prayers for the disaster response team. Uh, those guys did an amazing work in the Sarasota area, uh, doing a lot of cleanup efforts. It was an amazing thing. We prayed for them last week in our service, and this week, I want to say maybe Thursday or Friday, I got a, a message on Facebook Messenger from a lady who lives in this neighborhood who had been praying for one of her relatives that somehow, some way, uh, God would send people to her in the name of Jesus, and then she included in that note a picture of her relative, uh, surrounded by the guys from our Mercy Ministry team. She said, I drive by your church all the time. I, th- I, I vote there. Uh, and I've been praying that someone would come to this relative who does not know Christ. And they did. They did because you prayed. They did because you gave. They did because you went. God answers prayers. Uh, Amen. Well, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word, Sixth Commandment. This is God's word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And now the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Our theme verse for this series is James 1.25. James 1.25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing. Let's go to God in prayer. O oh Lord our God, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
I pray, Lord God, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts that we might hear these words of perfect liberty and freedom. We pray, Lord God, that you would break the bonds of sin that cling to our hearts so closely that we might truly be free. For if we are free in you, Lord Christ, then we are free indeed. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, for we, your servants, listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If I asked you, which of the Ten Commandments represents your greatest struggle in life? How many of you would answer the Sixth Commandment? How many of you would say, you know, Joel, I, I don't really struggle a lot with lying or idolatry or adultery. Pretty much got that all under control. But what I really struggle with is murder. I wake up every day consciously reminding myself, don't murder someone today. I'm like Liam Neeson in Taken. I have a very particular set of skills, Pastor Joel. So I wrestle with this. Now, frankly, if more than one of you said that this represents your greatest struggle, we may have to install metal detectors by the back door. Not many of us struggle with murder. Do we? On the surface, this seems like the least controversial commandment and perhaps the easiest commandment to obey. Just don't murder someone and you'll be fine. But, as with all the commandments, there's more to this commandment than meets the eye. This commandment is literally a matter of life and death. This commandment teaches us that all life is precious. This commandment teaches us that all people matter to God. It teaches us that all people matter to God because all people, without, without exception, are image bearers of God. And because we are, and all people are, image bearers of God, we will be held accountable for the one life that we live. Are we using our words and our actions to bless other people, to build people, other, build people up? Or are we using the one life that God has given us to tear down and destroy people who are made in the image of God? of God. This commandment teaches us the nature about the nature of God, the very God Yahweh whose name means I live. I am alive. This commandment teaches us about the love of God, a God who pleads with his rebellious people, "Oh that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. It teaches us about the mercy of God, a God who sent his own son Jesus into a dying world through the simple message of, of the gospel. I am the way and the truth and the life. The temptation, as always, is to simplify these commands so that we can justify ourselves. We want to tell ourselves, I'm a good person. Look at my life. I've never committed murder. 
I've never, I've never killed another human being. We want to point the finger at other people, at those people, the true tyrants of history, whether it be Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin, whether it be modern-day people like Vladimir Putin, whether it be others who would create violence and, and bloodshed and war. Look at them, hoping that God will overlook the murderous thoughts and intentions of our own hearts. What if, instead of trying to justify ourselves through formal, surface-level obedience to this commandment, we allowed God to change our hearts? What would happen if we began to see every single human being that we met as an image-bearer of God? What if we saw part of our divine calling as image bearers of God to take up the mantle of life and liberty and hope for all people, for children, both born and unborn, for children in schools who are struggling with with poverty and food insecurity, for elderly people, many of whom are are cut off from their families in, in nursing homes and hospice units? What would a pro-life revolution look like in our city? Would it look like more pregnancy resource centers? Would it look like more drug treatment centers? Would it look like more Christian schools? Would it look like more resources, financial resources, for some of the poorest communities of our city? Would it look like more churches? would it look like more Christians who look more like Jesus? Is there anything more precious than life? Is there anything more critical than keeping the sixth commandment? These are some of the questions we'll be asking this morning as we try to understand this seemingly simple and yet profoundly complex commandment, you shall not murder. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. I want us to focus on five things that this commandment teaches us about the sanctity of life. According to the sixth commandment, God wants us to appreciate life, God wants us to protect life. God wants us to embrace life. God wants us to give life. And finally, God wants us to receive life. Those are our five words. Appreciate, protect, embrace, give, and receive life. The Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And there's no greater gift that God gives us than the gift of life. How do we give it? How do we receive it? How do we celebrate life? Let's take a closer look. We begin with our first word, which is the word appreciate. God is calling us to appreciate life. We appreciate life because each human life is unique. 
unlike all the other creatures of the world, unlike the oceans, unlike the mountains, unlike the forests, human beings are created in the image of God. In the book of Genesis, before God created, uh, after God created the heavens and the earth, after God created the sun, moon, and stars, after God created the lions and the tigers and the bears and the dogs and the kittens and little things like gravity and physics and the laws of thermodynamics, we read Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us probably a reference to the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female. He created them. That same image of God language is used again in Genesis 5.1, and then just after the flood in Genesis 9, verse 6, God said, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. If you fast forward to the New Testament, to James chapter 3, James, who was the half-brother of Jesus Christ, talked about using our words to build people up rather than tearing them down, and his rationale is that all people, without exception, are made in the image of God. In other words, as human beings, we are creatures, but we are not animals, We're image bearers of God. As image bearers of God, we reflect something about the character of God that no other creature reflects. As image bearers of God, we're capable of love because God is love and we're made in his image. We're capable of great creativity because God is a creative God and we are made in his image. We were created to work and to rest because God is a God who worked and rest and we were made in his image. We will live forever in heaven or in hell because God lives forever and we are made in his image. Last month, I read a book by Christian Smith. Christian Smith is a sociologist, and he makes the case in his book that, univer- that very persuasively, that the whole idea of universal human rights, something that we very much take for granted in the West, is based on the idea that all people, all people, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of age or nationality or any other difference or distinction, all people are made in the image of God. That, that thinking led our founding fathers to write in the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, all human beings, are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator, that's image of God language, with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life. 
liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Again, where do our rights come from? They come from God. Why are they universal? Because all human beings are made in the image of God. Now, as image bearers of God, we express our appreciation and thanksgiving to God by worshiping him. That's what the first four commandments are are all about. And by loving and serving our fellow image bearers. That's what commandments 6 through 10 are about. C.S. Lewis famously observed, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal Your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Do you appreciate the uniqueness of human life? Do you ever thank God for the creativity that God has given you? For your capacity to to love? For your ability to think deep thoughts and laugh deep laughs? Do you see your friends and your neighbors as image bearers of God? Do you see yourself as an image bearer of God? Would God be pleased if other people spoke about you the way that you speak about you? Do you respect the image and appreciate the image of God in yourself? We are unique. We are image bearers of God. We should appreciate that. Our second word is protect. God is calling us in this commandment to protect life. According to this commandment, murder in all of its forms is a sin. It's a sin to take another life, another person's life, and it is a sin to take your own life. That happens in a variety of different ways in our culture and throughout history. Homicide, for example, in all of its forms, whether it's first-degree murder or second-degree murder or manslaughter or negligent homicide, is a sin. It's a sin to take the life of another person because all life is sacred, and all life is sacred because all life is a gift from God. And when we take someone's life away, we take away something that is not ours to take. We take away God's greatest gift, the gift of life. Abortion is likewise a sin because even babies in the womb are made in the image of God. Now, putting aside all of the scientific arguments uh, against abortion, and there are many, the Bible makes it clear that the difference between a baby in the womb and a baby outside the the womb is a, a chronological difference and not a theological difference. God forms us in the womb. God knows us in the womb. God even calls us in the womb. We are people inside the womb. In the book of Psalms, we read, Psalm 139, 13, For you, the Lord God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Luke 1, 15, And he, John the Baptist, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. 
Isaiah 44, verse 2. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. If you have had an abortion, or, whether, or if you have encouraged someone to have an abortion, I don't say this to shame you or to condemn you, but to encourage you to think biblically about life, to appreciate life at all ages as much as God does. That includes your own life, even if abortion is part of your story. The story of the scripture is the story of a God who loves people and values people, and that includes you. Yes, uh, abortion is, is murder. Abortion is a violation of the sixth commandment. But, and this is very important to remember, that ultimately the only sin that is unforgivable is the sin of unbelief. The only sin that will ultimately condemn you, no matter which of these commandments that you have broken, and we have broken them all in a variety of different ways, the only sin that is, remains unforgivable is the sin of refusing to accept the gift of life that Jesus has come to bring. Jesus offers that gift to all people of all ages without exception, including you. Choose life. What about other ways that we break this commandment? What about other ways that we fail to protect life? What about assisted suicide? Assisted suicide, or sometimes referred to as euthanasia, is a violation of the sixth commandment because we don't lose our dignity as image bearers of God when we age. Chronic sickness does not remove the image of God. We don't lose our value as human beings if we're confined to a wheelchair. We don't lose our value as human beings if we are paralyzed or have some sort of infirmity physically or mentally. That's simply not the case. Now, does that mean that we have to do everything possible in all circumstances to extend our life as long as possible? No. It's not a sin to refuse treatment in many instances. If, for example, you say, I'm 90 years old, I've lived a good life, I love the Lord God, I'm looking forward to meeting him, I don't think I'm going to do chemotherapy. I love the Lord God. I've lived a good life. I'm not going to get a heart transplant. I'm not going to get that surgery, which maybe or maybe will not extend my life. That's okay. Just speaking personally, I have provisions in my own will that say that if I am on death's door and the only thing keeping me alive is the Gulf Power Company— let me go. I've been waiting my whole life to meet, meet Jesus. And I don't like waiting in line anywhere. A grocery store, I mean, much less a hospital. It's just like, let me go, man. I want to see him. Now, don't, now, again, that's different than taking your own life or enlisting the help of, of a physician to take your own life because you're discouraged, because you're afraid. It's, listen, I, I understand but we have to remember 
that all life has value from natural birth to natural death. What about suicide? Suicide is a sin, a tragic sin, because only God has the right to end your life. Your life is not your own. It is a gift from God. It belongs to God. And God wants us to be good stewards of that gift. He doesn't want us to disregard it, even if we feel in the moment overwhelmed by heartache and despair. Now, please hear me when I say this. These are not simple issues. The 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 process of giving you sort of a list. Hey, these are all the things that are violations of the Sixth Commandment is the risk of appearing to sound flippant or uncaring. Please hear me when I say these are complicated issues. They are issues that are agonizing issues in many, many cases. Incredibly painful. Abortion has touched my own family. Suicide has touched my own family. As far as I'm aware, homicide has not touched my biological family, but it has touched my church family. The hardest funeral sermon I ever preached was for a sweet lady who was murdered in her home. Heartbreaking. I don't know if her children will ever get over that. These sins, any form of taking human life, creates wounds that only God can heal. Whether we have committed the sin or whether we have been sinned against, that's why it's so important to protect life. Protect your own life. Protect the lives of of children, born and unborn. Protect the lives of the sick and the afflicted and the discouraged and the afraid. Only God can give life It is incredibly precious. And God is calling us in the sixth commandment to protect life at all costs. Our third word is embrace. God is calling us to embrace life. In John 10, Jesus said, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to give us everlasting life. We'll talk about that in the fifth word. But he also came to give us abundant life. In other words, Jesus came to give us purpose and meaning and joy. Inexpressible joy filled with glory. Did you know that the word joy and rejoice is used 216 times in the Bible? Did you know that joy is the second fruit of the Holy Spirit right after love? In some churches, you might be tempted to believe that lemons are the second fruit of the Holy Spirit because everyone walks around looking like they just ate one. And so, my sour-faced friends, don't violate the sixth commandment. Have joy in your heart. Embrace life by the horns. Live life for all it's worth to the glory of God. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses was giving a very important speech, sort of his farewell address to the people of Israel. If you don't know the Bible, Moses is arguably the most important person in the Old Testament. And he said this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring might live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and your length of days. In other words, when we talk about the abundant life, we have to be careful about smuggling current ideas into the abundant life. The abundant life isn't the YOLO life. The abundant life isn't the Instagram life. The abundant life is more than self-improvement, even though self-improvement is a good thing. The abundant life is more than, than diet and exercise and taking care of your physical body, even though that is very important. The abundant life is more than dollars and cents and investments and savings, even though for the most part, that's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to be a steward of all of the resources that God has given us. But in Deuteronomy 30 and throughout the scriptures, we are told that the abundant life, the life of joy and gladness comes from Jesus. We embrace life when we embrace him. Let me encourage you to keep this commandment by embracing life. Keep this commandment by embracing joy and wisdom and holiness. Keep this commandment by embracing Jesus. Our fourth word is give. God is calling you to give life. Now, what do I mean? I'm glad you asked. If you are a newlywed, and they're all sitting mostly over here, so I'm going to kind of be looking in this uh, general direction. If you are a newlywed, giving life might mean that it's time for y'all to have some babies. If you are not a newlywed, maybe it means that God is calling you to adopt some babies, or a nine-year-old, or a teenager, a I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my kids for college, so after they graduate, y'all can adopt them. Uh, <laughs> send them to school. You can pay for it. After reminding Noah and his family in Genesis 9 that they were image bearers of God, God told them to be fruitful and to multiply. Newlyweds, I think y'all are awesome, and I think the world needs more people like you. So have some babies, teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, raise them to love the Lord, have more babies if you only have one, and, uh, and you will be fulfilling this commandment. Don't be a life taker. Be a life giver. But, again, that's just the surface. Giving life is about so much more than having children. One of the most challenging things that Jesus ever said in the Sermon on the Mount, is that we can commit murder using our words. We can say things that are murderous. Are you worried yet? 
You came here to church today, now all of a sudden you're, you're surrounded by a bunch of serial killers, right? We'll, we'll put that on the brochure. Uh, come to Pinewoods. It's a great church. Bunch of murderers. But that's what Jesus is saying. So, if that's true, and it is, that we can take life with the words that we say, then it is also true that we can heal people with the words that we say. We can use our words to build people up. We can use our words to encourage people. We can use our words to affirm people. We can use our words to teach people something that maybe they don't already know. We have the power of life in our words. The Holy Spirit can use the words that we say the way that God always uses his words, which is to bring people from a state of spiritual death to a state of spiritual life. The most powerful gift that we can give through our words and our actions is the gift of life. Are you giving life? That leads us to our fifth word, last one, receive. God is calling us to receive life. Arguably, my favorite summary of the gospel in all of the Bible comes from Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, in order to understand the good news of the gospel, why it is such good news, we have to understand the bad news. We are spiritually dead apart from Jesus. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden by eating the forbidden fruit, they rebelled against God, the author and giver of of life. They rebelled against the God whose very name, Yahweh, means I am alive. Because of sin, they died. First, spiritually, and then later, physically. Through their sin, they brought physical and spiritual death to all of their descendants, to a world where we were, as image bearers of God, supposed to live forever that is the tragedy of sin that is the disaster of sin but here's the good news stated so clearly in ephesians 2 stated so clearly in john 3 16 stated so clearly in romans chapter 8 stated so clearly in the entire book of galatians if you know where to look the story of the gospel is on every page jesus who created all things who made us in his image died so that we might live. He died to give us eternal and abundant life. He was murdered by his enemies. He was murdered by people who were exactly like us, so that we, who were nothing like him, 
might live. But here's where it gets really good. Because after he died, he didn't stay dead. On the third day, on that very first Easter Sunday, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came walking out of the tomb, very much alive. He later ascended into heaven where he is seated, still very much alive at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Do you remember what the angels said to the women who searched for him in the tomb? They said, why do you seek the living among the dead? It's a good question. Why do we seek the living among the dead? Why does our search for life and meaning and transcendence and joy take little pit stops along the way to money and fame and recognition, to family, to whatever else, all these little idols that we construct thinking that they will give us life when in reality they're dead and only deliver death. Why do we participate in that? The most important thing that we can do, the way that we keep this commandment, is by receiving the life that Jesus came to give. The Apostle Peter put it this way in John chapter 6. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so, as Christians, we appreciate life. We protect life. We embrace life. We give life because we have received life through Jesus, who died so that we might live. That's the gospel. That's the secret of life. Let's go to God in prayer. O oh Lord our God, we thank you for the gift of life which you have given us. We thank you for the gift of, of our earthly life. We pray that you'd forgive us when we do not make the most of every opportunity that you have given us in this life. We pray we would forgive us when we tear down other image bearers, when we speak or act in ways that are violent. Forgive us, Lord God. May you really and truly ignite a, a pro-life revolution in our hearts, in our city, in our nation, and all around the world. Lord, we pray that you would accomplish this through Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. We pray in his name. Amen.